0: that is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players. Where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entry or knowing how to navigate the uncertainties of disruptive developments. Mindfeeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode I have a special surprise gift. I am working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation and marketing. Let's get started on today's episode. So today we've got with me Hassani X based in California and today's topic, how can you communicate your brand story so that you separate yourself from the pack? So before we get started, X, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I go by, and this was a name given to me, the chief of story, and People come to me when they want to be able to communicate their value proposition, whether you are an entrepreneur starting out or a publicly traded company, and you're looking to find a way to communicate more effectively. Um, So that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years almost in a variety of, of ways from building businesses to even building people through communication strategies and through the art science
0: of story. Yeah, sounds really interesting and, and fascinating because when you think of it so much, it's now about telling stories. We look at uh, many big brands and small brands, they're all giving out stories. Like, for instance, in in Sweden, there's, for instance, a, a company called Happy Socks. The socks are very colorful. Then we look at, at, for instance, Tesla in the US or Richard Branson, who is like a, a personal branding in a way that everything that somehow he he starts it's always called virgin but it's somehow always connected with fun and associations. so there's a certain kind of story and value proposition uh, even just by him somehow touching whatever he's doing yeah so um yeah so what do you make out of these uh these views and these opportunities that you see for small and medium-sized companies and even big companies uh, to use branding in a different way?
1: Well, Christian, I think that's a great question. I think if you back up a bit and look at where we are in history and going forward, brand has become more important than almost anything. So there are kind of two camps that are winning and will continue to win in our marketplace. You have those who gravitate towards being big businesses, right? They're able to trade on volume and scale. Think Amazon, for example. Low prices, but they're able to sell millions upon millions upon millions of their products and services. And they're able to win based upon product and price. The best products at the lowest prices. Very hard to compete and they are crushing it. But then you have this other group who trades on brand. It isn't about the product, it isn't about the price. It's about the connection that the brand brings to the table, creating a irreplaceable feeling in the hearts and minds of their market. So they trade at a premium. Right? They don't have to have the best products or the lowest prices because they allow us to feel something about that brand. You mentioned Brunson and uh, and 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 his version Empire. Every New business has version attached to it, has his name on it. Why? Because that instantly makes you feel a certain way about whatever it is doing. And he's trading on that brand proposition. So when you think about these two areas of big business and brand dominating the marketplace, you have this bigger, larger group in the middle where most businesses reside and they're being decimated because they can't compete. So they're like treading water. Like you, you, you can't get ahead. You're just floating. You're just merely surviving. And that window for either choosing to be big, which is very difficult to do, or to build brand is closing quickly. Because if you don't have either of these two protection mechanisms, you're a commodity and you're under pressure and you can't distinguish yourself. And it's a very tough place to be. So brand is accessible for all of us if we understand how to communicate our story and differentiate.
0: Exactly. I mean, you even just compare, for instance, in electric cars. For instance, there are many brands who are trying to put electric cars at a very low price, but Elon Musk doesn't need to do that. He puts them at a the price where he thinks it's it's okay, he delivers quality, and a different service just an example if you take a car from a different brand and you notice your navigation system is somehow out- outdated or there's some bug you have to go to the repair shop they just send updates they correct the programmers correct the bugs send updates to all the teslas and it's updated without you actually even have to drive your car out of your garage which is cool and even solar panels he pre- not only builds an ecosystem, but he he builds his own uh, brand, and we think of it. It's crazy, just like a few days ago, Richard Branson did his uh, his next journey, trying to get to the to the moon or whatever. Uh, but actually, who is visiting? Who's there? Elon Musk is visiting him, although Elon Musk has his own rockets, so they are not actually like a uh, hard competitors brands, attracting great brands, and then you suddenly notice they're all buddies and they're enjoying this great time and delivering value and creating the next thing for the future. Uh, mm. And it's a great yeah. thing when you think how brands have a very different power if they use their strengths.
1: Yeah, you, but you got to know your strengths and you said something very key there. Uh, Elon Musk is a unicorn as it relates to brand. So there are three stories that a brand can trade on. You trade on your customer story, meaning your capacity to really help the customer feel like they become something altogether different, the hero in their own story. You can trade on your founder's story, as in the person that is behind the brand. And then you can trade on your mission story, what you stand for in the world and why you're there. Those three stories kind of make up the mix of branding positions to take. But you got to understand your strength. And Elon Musk is a freaking unicorn because he has one hell of a customer story in terms of Tesla and going to the move, wanting to go to save us and SpaceX and solar, the whole nine, PayPal. Crazy. He also has the most insane founder story in terms of where he comes from and what he's about, almost Tony Stark-like. And then he has this mission to save the planet and wanting to, to, to find a way to, to improve humanity by giving us options. Like He can trade on all three of those stories, so he's a unicorn. He's special. But the truth is, most businesses can't trade on all three. So you have to know which one is the strongest story in your marketplace and which one you can trade on. Is it, is it really about your services and, and the value they bring? And now you need a strong customer story. Or Richard Brunson puts his name on everything in version. It's about him. We don't really know how good those other companies are, but we know that he's attached to it. So they trade on his founder story. But you also have those who trade on their mission story. And and I'll give you a quick example. You remember uh, Dollar Shave Club? You remember that brand that came out, right? They were selling cheap disposable razors for a buck or so or a few dollars and they crushed it. Um, and there were dozens of companies who tried to do the same exact thing and failed. But why did the Dollar Shave Club succeed? Did they have a fantastic brand, a uh, customer story and having a superior product? No. Do you, we know who the founders are? Not, not really. But they had a hell of a mission story to liberate men from the tyranny of big companies in these $30 razors. How dare you? Let's fight, little guy. Let's do something. Even the commercials in their their insane viral video showed the workers and the little men and who they were for. The irony is Gillette ended up buying them for over a billion dollars because they took on the behemoth with a crazy great mission story, who we stand for and what we're about. So you have the customer story, founder story, and mission story. And you got to know which one of those you have power in and then really communicate that story to help you distinguish yourself in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as, as you say, with uh, for instance, like the founder story, uh, when you think of it, most companies, usually when they think of, of branding and they think of story, usually they go towards the mission story. Why are we here? What we want to achieve and so on. But they actually don't, don't go for the others uh, often. Like the customer story, there are very few cus- uh, companies at least that actively play on that game. Most of them just try to eventually They get told you have to write your mission and vision story and then you have to somehow figure it out. But the founder story, of course, fits better for companies that have been founded by somebody uh, who is at least to a certain degree more or less alive in today's time yeah. because it's of yeah. Course, interesting. Yeah, but if you've ever read, there's a book um, about uh, Watson. Watson, the guy who actually became uh, the CEO of IBM just mm-hmm. before the First World War, and he turned the company that eventually became IBM into a highly profitable business. And we think of today, eventually he even gave it over the reins to his son who continued and so on. And eventually the company changed so drastically that the company that used to sell servers and all sorts of stuff eventually shrank and shrank, sold stuff off and became eventually a service company. Mm-hmm. And I think... Then IBM notebooks and IBM servers, the stuff is now made in China and, and sold by Lenovo and IBM. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. basic idea, engineering and so on, is there,
1: but it's gone. Yeah. Well, one point—one point I want to make about the founder story, because you bring up an important point. It, most founder stories, we figure, if we don't have this iconic, mythic person behind it, then we shouldn't be sharing that story. But the truth of the matter is, 99% of the time, your founder story isn't about this iconic figure. It's not about what that person did or why they're special. No one cares. What they care about is why that person started that company, not what they're capable of. From that perspective, each and every one of us have the power and the capacity to share a founder story. When I'm working with a company, not only help them to develop their founder story from the perspective of leadership in those who founded the company, mm-hmm. but we help every single person inside of the company to, be, to have their own founder story that connects to the brand. And, 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 I, and I'll explain it this way. You know, one of my, one of my clients runs a large law firm, and mm-hmm. he started the firm because when he was eight years old, his mom was evicted, and they went to court, lost their home, Um, they, he, he ended up in the foster care system. They were homeless for three months. And when he got older, he said he vowed he would never allow anybody to take advantage of someone that he loved and cared for. And when someone's coming after your reputation, your money or your livelihood, you can depend upon me to fight. That's his founder story. And when he shares Mm. that story and all the ups and downs, he closes clients, these high value clients with that story. Not his Harvard degree, not his ability to win cases, but that story of why he does what he does. That's his story. But here's the kicker. When he comes inside of his company, he shares that story and he asks his staff, his partners, when has when somebody came after your money, livelihood, and reputation? Why do you care? And everyone has a story like that. And everyone says, well, I care because this happened to me and this happened to me. And then they share their story and they're building a culture and a camaraderie around this idea. So everybody has a founder story and everybody communicates that. And now everybody in the organization knows what they stand for. And now there's what we call story synergy, where the brand that we're projecting to the marketplace and what we stand for internally, our culture is united. And that is a very strong and solid place to be with building a brand and a culture that matches.
0: Yeah, and, and even me just listening to you really gives me the feeling that this lawyer, he has the fire, the fire that you really need because there are plenty of lawyers out there. that have no passion left. They, they study something either because the, the father and the grandfather were lawyers and they told you have to do it, or actually they wanted to study something totally different. And they're not enjoying it, but they're just doing it because they can't do anything else. And they think, okay, now I'm 40, 50, and I want to do something different, but I'm now stuck. Ugh. And I've got family, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you have someone who is really willing to fight, you see, okay, he's not just going to give up just in the first little bit of wah-wah uh, that the other guy does. Uh, and he's going to really fight to to get you really the best deal instead of getting you the worst deal because he just wants to make a few bucks and then leaves more money on the table than he actually could do. Because if he did a great job, the company or the person would go and say, okay, next time I have a problem, I'll hire you again. Yeah, when Mm -hmm. I think even my business, we've hired lots of lawyers, different law firms, from from one-man shows to big firms. And it doesn't matter whether they are big or small. Big doesn't automatically mean that they are going to be successful. Plenty of Mm -hmm. them messed up stuff. Others did great jobs. It just always depends very much how they're organized and as well mindset. Because you can have a law firm with 40 lawyers. One is really great in what he's doing. He does fantastic work. And we hired him and hired him, hired him. Then when he left the the thing, we thought, oh, great. Okay, we've just got one uh, average left. And I think, okay, what do we do? (laughs) Eventually, we stopped working with them after a few years because there wasn't any value left. Yeah, Yeah. But there are plenty of law firms out there that do a great job. But if they're really passionate about what they're doing, they're going to be as well committed as well towards educating themselves, being up to trying to find out how to learn maybe more negotiation skills. Because just because you studied at some university doesn't automatically make you a crack in negotiation. You don't always have to go to court. If you uh, get the risk out of the room by negotiating cleverly... um, your customer's happy saves a lot of bucks and you make good money and it's recurring revenue that helps. Because I think from, from conversations I've had as well uh, with lawyers, and I'm sure your client might have told you, often the most difficult thing for lawyers is obviously getting the next assignment again. It's, yeah. It's yeah. not as if people are running into the doors all the time.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and and I think that's that's because of there's such a competition in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Why why should I choose you? Why should I choose your law firm? Why should I choose your accounting firm? Why should I choose your product or widget? I tell people all the time, if we're really honest about our services and what we do, and we hold it up in the mirror with truth and raw honesty compared to other widgets and services in the market, you won't find that big of a difference. You, you, 99 times out of 100, you won't find a big difference. And that difference can be replicated and duplicated just like that. But what distinguishes those who are chosen isn't the product or service. It's the brand. It's the distinction between how that product or service makes people feel. And that's the key thing I want people to understand. Whether you're building a business or you're a leader trying to move people or you're a parent, it comes down to some very simple human necessities. Facts, functions, and features don't move people. Feelings do. So you exactly. got to get people to feel. So it's not about mm. who has the best service or the best product. It's who has the best story to connect us emotionally to that product, that service, that idea. When you have that, you have the magic mix to be chosen in this highly competitive and noisy marketplace. Best story wins.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at other industries, for instance, um, Let's say, for instance, computer games. There are all these games like World of Pets and so on, where the kids are going crazy about it. And there are these, these kids, this family with, I think, five kids or so. And the kids are playing these games, explaining to other kids. And the kids are just fantastic with each other and uh, enjoying. And it's funny because you talk. I was yesterday having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I said to him what well, my kid is playing. And he says, Really? Oh, that's funny, because my two kids are playing that as well at the moment. I tell that mm-hmm. to my daughter, and she wants to, oh, I want to connect with them and play and so on. And it's not just about having fun, but it's actually about uh, these these kids in Australia, they're becoming like influencers, but in a different way, because the kids see, oh, they've now changed and playing something different, and they find out what it is and so on. But they're actually interesting because... Um, the family is interesting by the matter as well because the father he used to be an o- olympic swimmer of course now he isn't anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> at a certain age you have to give up your, your olympic career but it's interesting because we come back again to the founding story and then to the founder and then the family and so on and there are certain values as well that even their family takes on to the kids and the kids transfer the value out to the mm-hmm. new generation of Let's say buy us because once yeah. one day these kids will be all adults and will be buying more instead of asking the parents to give them a few bucks to to pay some uh, for some extras.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, values, what we believe, how we connect to ourselves and others, it, it comes down to story, and here's why: mm. our brain is hardwired. And driven by stories, which are basically just narratives that compact down meaning into a form that allows us to not only understand it intellectually, but to feel it. And it's a short sucket, short cut to programming us. So if you think about it, just evolutionarily speaking, if you and I were on the savannah somewhere, and you experienced some type of danger. Maybe an am- animal attacked you or something like that. You came back and told me about it. You were like, hey, this animal did this and did this, and I was able to do this to escape it. And the brain goes, wait a minute, listen, there's danger. I need to understand what's going on. And you give me the blueprint to survive. That's basically how our brain is hardwired to really inform itself around how to go out into the world and thrive, to give us a blueprint to our pleasure. So we're hardwired to not only listen to stories and to bring them into our world, but we also are hardwired to, to neurologically in terms of hormones being released when we hear stories. They're doing neural imaging on people's brains via when they're on story and brain lights up in several different regions. You release oxytocin, which is the connection hormone. You release cortisol, which makes you pay attention. You have neural coupling and neural mirroring. It's fascinating stuff, but it's all from engaging in something that is emotionally compelling through narrative and through story. Something that information will never, ever do. And our lives, Christian, if we backtrack it from our earliest memories, how do we recall them? Through a story. Through, we, <laughs> we see the movie. We, we feel it. it, 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 it it's, it's, it's in us. So, so when you're trying to change values or you're trying to instill them, learning how to communicate and, and create experiences that are more like a story in terms of overcoming and transforming, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things help you become a highly influential person when it comes to uh, leading yourself, um, others, or even positioning a brand.
0: Exactly. It's like all when you think uh, the Aborigines used to paint pictures, uh, the the underthalers used to uh, draw pictures and so on. And even today, when we all talk about or listen to stories, for instance, Robin Hood, which supposed to have lived for over a thousand years ago. And there's still the stories. They're making cartoons and everything. And it's just unbelievable from a story that gets taken on, or the crusades and all different things that are told by story. There are even cultures, I think, somewhere that they don't write anything, but they tell the story and the story is passed on. And that's how it's uh, the cultural uh, heritage that's been passed on. Yes, yeah. It's, it's yeah. astonishing how the mind works.
1: Yeah, if it's not a story, we won't remember it. Statistically exactly. speaking, we are twenty-two times more likely to remember a story than information or facts. It's yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling. But when you learn how to communicate in narrative form, um, to really understand how to how to tell a great story, and ideas become more than just ideas; they become something that. Give people a mission, idea, a vision, something they want to join. Um, and it doesn't happen just through cold data, facts, features, functions, and information. It's, it's the story that makes us feel.
0: Exactly. And I noticed as well, after many years ago, I was once in hospital. I had to have so much uh, painkillers that I couldn't even remember the name of my doctor and lost a part of memory. And Mm -hmm. later on, I noticed actually each time when somebody, especially in corporate, when you uh, have to deal with lots of people and if you have a conversation with someone and he tells you something really personal, this sticks in my mind. I have no clue sometimes uh, who this or that person was called, who I sat with in the office five years, day after day. But the Mm -hmm. other person who told me a story about himself, I still remember the situation. I I can picture us sitting there and having that conversation. I remember what the weather was. I remember what the gestures were. This, his emotion, like for instance, one guy who just got his Porsche delivered and he was so excited and mm-hmm. he showed us, oh, he's backing there, and he was thrilled. Another guy told take, talk, uh, talking about some other kind of thing, something family related stuff and so on. And you you have the picture, and you can really see the entire scenario. You can see the office equipment. Everything is in the memory, and it's crazy that. You still then can remember these people, but other people who who used to work for years next to each, you think, what was the guy's name? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, and I know who it yeah. is, but I don't. I don't know the name. Right,
1: right. N- names don't carry any emotional weight. Exactly, and names names also don't fire various regions of the brain. Um, neurologically speaking, it's one of the easiest things to forget. But when you start Adding stuff to that name, where somebody is from, what they experienced as a child, what they love, what they fear, what's going on and around them. And as you paint that picture, certain areas of the brain start to fire up, different regions. And as different regions of the brain fire up, networks or neurons that fire together wire together. So that creates a deeper, more meaningful pathway. For the brain to recall and remember. So, if I say red coat, you may not remember that. But if I tell you a story about me wearing a red coat in um, in frigid weather, and I felt like I was going to die, and I got hypothermia, and I found this hmm. red coat with this red uh, fur lining in it, it was the most comfortable thing in the world, and I was able to survive in this most harshest storm storm that we ever had. And a great and the thing about a story, by the way that makes it memorable memorable as well and connective is that there's transformation. Uh, The hero or the person in the story has to go through some pain, some trauma, some issue or challenge, and then they overcome it to experience some type of pleasure and paradise. And those are the most memorable, exciting, moving stories. I challenge you to find a book, a TV show you love, a news article, a politician you follow, it doesn't really matter. Anything that moves you is going to have those elements of problems and pain being transformed into pleasure and paradise through some promise or some story. And that's what the brain loves, craves and needs. It needs this blueprint to joy, how to overcome challenges and how to receive and keep, maintain and multiply pleasure. Um, And if you communicate in that way, you'll, you'll get far more people to listen and buy in and engage
0: exactly i mean think it's it doesn't matter whether you're just based in one country uh, even if you later on branch out into other regions other cultures your your mission your your founder story and all these elements that you've built up you can actually automatically translate more or less into the brain of the other people and when you think of it for instance tesla at the time they weren't selling cars uh, outside of us eventually they started growing out but he had already his reputation and was there, um, like things like PayPal and other kind of stuff that he was doing, and it's it's interesting because you can do you can have a reputation that is, has a certain positive connotation and, and a reputation that has a negative connotation. Sometimes it helps or sometimes it hurts.
1: Yeah, and that's why you got to protect your brand. Um, make sure that you're purposely creating a brand. When I'm talking to a leader or a company, I always tell people, listen, the only thing that grows wild, free and without any tending to are weeds. If you want to build a brand and a culture, you have to cultivate it. What do you want people to think and feel as relates to your products or services? Be very specific. What do you want them to feel? When they see some of your advertising and your marketing, what do you want them to feel when they get their product in their hand? What do you want them to associate and feel and connect and think about as it relates to your brand and internally with your team? And, 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 I, and I can't tell you, companies from definitely startups struggle with this idea, but even I've worked with billion dollar companies and they can't answer that core question. What do we want people to feel when we, they connect to our services and our products. But the, the great thing is when we work through all of that and we nail it down to a feeling, to a thought, now the marketing and the branding and everything we do makes sense because we can start to orient the story toward this feeling, this thing. And that becomes a differentiator. That becomes the thing that we hang our hat on um, and people start to associate you with it on purpose.
0: Absolutely. Then everything makes sense. Everything works suddenly. Yeah. Seemingly great. I think you like, for instance, um, just looking at the the change that evolved in in Apple, for instance, you had always Steve Jobs. Steve Wozniak as well, but he wasn't that much prominent. But Steve Jobs was the figurehead of Apple. Mm -hmm. And now that he's gone a few years since, of course, the company is still there, and the products are still there, and they're evolving, but it's it's somehow there's a gap
1: It hasn't been really filled. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, um, well, they're, they're dominant. Apple still is the, yeah. one of the most the most profitable brand I believe in the world mm-hmm. in terms of trading on brand. Yeah, um, they don't have the superior product often, um, but they trade on brand and mm. that i that iconic. Commercial that came out about being a rebel that Steve Jobs did uh, with Apple. I forget the year, but it was a turnaround. Apple was in trouble. They brought him back. And that one commercial about being a rebel, about throwing off the shackles of, of things that limit who you are, joining the change makers of the world. They had Gandhi and Martin Luther King and other uh, Muhammad Ali iconic figures basically saying that by using our products you become the rebel the change maker it was that notion idea and brand feeling that made Apple feel special and transformed it from just a mere commodity in the marketplace competing with um, other products and services uh, pcs and and, 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 and uh, Microsoft to something that people are like that's cool that's what I want this is who I this is who I get to become if I use Apple products. Um, it was legendary. And to this day, that feeling and thought of of cutting-edge innovation still to this day exists even without Steve Jobs there because they branded that into our hearts and our minds around what Apple actually is.
0: Yes, exactly. And I have a really good example of that. I was just recently visiting a customer of mine and uh, had taken my MacBook with me. Uh, I got one Desk since today we have currently of course these pandemics up and down to the world i got uh, in one of the office rooms one person was on holiday so i got uh, to have my own office on the side which is quite nice because it's just at the lake and yeah the the daughter of the owner came in and one day and i was somewhere else in a meeting and and she came said Who's that super notebook there, a MacBook? And so on. she was excited because everything else was usually other uh, Windows PCs or Android. And she got so excited mm-hmm. because, oh, the, the Sunday changed, something is changing. Are we getting some nice, uh, smart notebooks? That's very <laughs> right. very slack, very nice. And it's <laughs> okay. <Right. laughs>
1: But do you know both worlds? You know, you know the Apple ecosystem and the yeah. PC Windows ecosystem. Pound yeah. for pound, function for function, utility for mm. utility, Windows and PC crushes Apple. Well, at least they did until the M1 chips came out. Um, yeah. But we, but we choose Apple be, yeah. because there's this cool factor. Is this it? There's this. This difference, this 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 simplicity and elegance that comes with it, where we're moving beyond function. Um, to this day, people don't know like Android phones outsell iPhones. What like five to ten to one, some crazy number, but yeah. they're able to charge so much more for iPhone. I, what What did my iPhone cost for thirteen hundred dollars?
0: Yeah, like, and, and just take crazy. On, for instance an iPad. Yeah, an iPad costs at least I would say more than double than a, like I said, like a Galaxy. uh, Right. Right. it. Tablet or or Tab, Galaxy Tab, I think. Yeah.
1: Right. (laughs) So this is a classic example of what I talked about earlier, in the sense that uh, Windows and PC and Android are able to sell based upon product and price. They're able Hmm. to trade at volume. They're still a very profitable company, but they trade on volume. App giving you the best product in terms of cutting edge technology at the lowest price. Very hard to do, but they do it at scale. Apple mm-hmm. doesn't have that constraint. They don't have to be the press. They don't have to put the best tech into it. They have the brand that they trade on, which creates a feeling in their customers, which is a multiplier of utility because we're human. And that's the advantage of having a brand is that you get that premium in terms of your capacity to trade value because it's not just based on x's and o's it's not facts features and functions it's feeling and that's exactly. the distinction yeah. between apple and windows or
0: pc yeah, uh, Exactly, and it leads eventually as well the engineers, those guys who are making these devices, designing the iPhone, the tablet, the MacBook, and it works as well differently. And I notice as well, when I I write books or other kinds of um, creative stuff, I use a MacBook. When I'm doing hard coding, programming, and other kind of stuff I have to do, uh, I use my Windows PC. I have here uh, actually like four Windows PCs and a MacBook. But when it's writing something creative, uh, whether it's a marketing copy or writing on a book or other kind of stuff, um, I take my MacBook. And, mm-hmm. and I don't take the Windows PC. But for certain kind of programming stuff, I think, oh, I can't. I need to use the Windows. Because it's then you suddenly your brain then switches over into a different way of thinking. And yeah. it's interesting how you then notice brand effects as well, the, the thing.
1: Right. And that, that's that's crazy, right? We're grown... Mm-hmm. You know, human beings Who can understand the distinction Between creativity and, and utility And and it shouldn't be influenced by The machine we use uh, You know, uh, Photoshop opens up Just the same on PC as it does on Apple mm-hmm. um, yeah. But There's a feeling that comes with the MacBook, the creativity, the, the, this thing that we can't even really articulate and communicate that makes you want to choose your MacBook over your PC when you're doing creative work. That's crazy because that is, that is purely mental and how, and the associations we have and has little, very little to do with the functionality difference between say the Apple MacBook and your PC laptops. Um, Different keys, different functions, but typically the, the, the utility of it is, is, is on par. But you love the MacBook for creative stuff. In coding, you love the PCs and the laptops. And I find that crazy. That's, that's a perfect example of the power of brand and story and the connection that so we create to these brands and how they change how we use these tools and how we view them um, just purely based upon brand. And story
0: exactly and it's crazy because um, people often think that corporates for instance are very rigid and they only can do one system when i did my training at bmw over let's say over 20 years ago i had uh, in one department i had a desk with two ibm computers and no two macbooks and an, and one ibm computer which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was I that was BMW and uh, the Research center. It was just crazy the stuff that we did and and with the MacBooks, we used to research stuff. we We even had our financial department had only uh, Mac computers and Mac servers at a time where usually everybody would say, well, Mac is something for marketing guys, marketing designers, uh, artists, and so on, not for finance or engineers and so on. And today, You've got it everywhere. Not only sales guys have it. <laughs> you have CEOs. You have all sorts of different people. And there's some companies that are big and they only have Mac. So it's not yeah. just Windows that can dominate.
1: Yeah. As as, as as a market matures, and this is basic economic theory mm-hmm. here, as markets mature, product differentiations start to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, because we see what's out there and we can copy, replicate, duplicate. The only advantage at that point is in these two camps we talk about. Either you could distinguish based upon brand, creating this unique feeling and thought in the hearts and minds of your target market. So you have these two exact same widgets, but this one is seen as more valuable based upon the brand. Or you dominate based upon product and price you have found a way to deliver a superior product, vastly superior at a lower cost. But that advantage shrinks over time. It's always declining because it's very hard to remain top dog based upon product function. So, so you're always having to invest in R and D. You're always having to stay ahead. You're always having to do all of these things and you have these price pressures to keep others out of your market. So you have to trade at scale. So, so, these two factors in the marketplace are always dynamically pushing and hedging against each other. Um, and I always find it fascinating that when I walk into a company, leaders want to say, "Well, we just well, we have a vastly superior product." And I'm like, "You may have it now, but what about five years from now? What about three years from now? Do you have any brand that can insulate you from having to be the best and at the lowest prices?" Because that is a very precarious position to be in.
0: Exactly. And that reminds me actually, uh, I think like several years ago when I was in the UK, um, lawyers usually when they got to a certain level in the organization, they got a BlackBerry and uh, I think at one of the evening meetings or so, we met up with some friends, and I think they brought along some other friends, and one of them was so excited. She just got her first BlackBerry. She'd been promoted. So it was like, like let's say, army, getting your, uh, your three stripes, becoming a sergeant or something, and you're so excited that you suddenly got this and this gadget, and it means you have now status. And today, nobody cares about blackberry anymore you have to have an iphone or a macbook or other kind of things and so that creates status which shows you are getting closer and closer to upper management to ceo and so on uh, instead of being the guy who still has to work with some outdated uh windows 95 system or something (laughs) which just (laughs) shouldn't be working nowadays Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah so um, it's been really great to have you here, X, on the show. And I'm sure we'll be talking in the future about uh, similar topics because definitely I think um, the whole thing about the unicorn and the, these three combinations of the stories is actually quite interesting, I think, for, for listeners to get more into deeper aspects of that. Nevertheless, meantime, how can people actually get in contact with you if they want to find out more, maybe get some advice from you or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about story and communication, I'm a communication strategist. And every week I put out information uh, via our newsletter on communication strategies and story for leadership branding, and just being an overall better communicator in your life. Um, go to my website, leadyourstory.com. Um, And we have some tools there for you. But if you want a very specific hardcore story course, we actually just wrapped up a free six video series on the art and science of storytelling for building brand and culture. Um, And there's a worksheets and you get the same exact stuff we use with our clients, our UBS system for creating unifying brand stories with worksheets and everything. We're giving that away because our, our mission is to impact 100 million lives through the power of story. And we know that if we can help more people to better communicate their value, their worth in and, and the world, world um, will be a better place because we will be finding a way to create impact in lives. So if you want that resource, and it's, for right now it's free, totally free, just go ahead and get your email address and you'll get that. Go to launchmystory.com, launchmystory.com. And uh, you'll get that free story training course. Because like I said in the show, it's not who has the best service, best story wins. And I want to help you to create that best story.
0: Exactly. Sounds great. So thank you for being here. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon in the future. All right. Take care, Christian. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Growth Zone with Christian Barge. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market simply visit the website follow.prmediareach.com. I will be adding the link also to the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. For those of you who are listening and signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a free copy of The Ultimate Guide on Content Marketing. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo, and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years. It also got me contacts with police, transport authorities, military, and several universities, and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders, as it got me many small, medium-sized entrepreneurs and enterprises as clients. And that even included international clients from all around the world. The link to sign up for our free broadcasting service and the guide is follow.prmediareach.com That will give you access to the most recent version of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me as well on Twitter by using the Twitter handle C-A-P-Barge. That's spelled Charlie Alpha Papa Bravo Alpha Romeo Tango Sierra Charlie Hotel. Yes, that is C-A-P Barge.